Last week in our gospel lesson, Jesus gave us a glimpse at just how strange God's kingdom, God's reign, really is. Blessed are the poor, he said. Blessed are those who are hungry now. Blessed are those who weep. Blessed are you when people hate you. What a strange place indeed where those who suffer are called blessed. And Jesus went on to proclaim woes to the rich, to the full, to the happy, to the well-respected, because it seems that Jesus wants us to be sure that we understand that those who enjoy the pleasures of this life one day will struggle. In the reign of God, Jesus wants us to see that success isn't a sign of God's love, that instead it is those who struggle, those who suffer, who have God's heart. In that beautiful way, Jesus gave us a glimpse, a taste of what God's kingdom is like. And today he picks up right where he left off and tells us that if we're going to live in that kingdom, this is how we do it. Love your enemies, he says. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To those who would dwell in the reign of God, Jesus says, you must be the ones who turn the other cheek. We must be the ones who accept the abuse. We must be the ones who lend without getting anything in return, who are willing to yield what we have to those who would take it from us. We are then those who do to others what we would have them do to us. And that makes sense, doesn't it? If Jesus names for us that the blessed ones are the ones who are poor and hungry, the ones who weep, the ones who are rejected, then it makes sense that in pursuit of those blessings, we would have to give up some of our riches, some of our plenty, some of our esteem, that we would be the ones to endure suffering with dignity. But you don't have to be a disciple of Jesus to think that's a good idea. It's not only a recipe for kingdom life, it's a good recipe for life anyway. You don't have to be a disciple to know how good it feels to put away anger and to give up resentment. You don't have to be pursuing God's reign to know the freedom that comes from letting go of your attachment to worldly goods. That's just good advice. There have been people in this community, agnostic hippies, who thought that was a good idea for generations. Jesus takes that idea and pushes it a little further, doesn't he? He might deserve credit for teaching us to love our enemies, we might want to name that he's the one that first invited us to commit random acts of kindness. But there's another layer to this lesson, one that goes beyond earthly sense, a teaching that actually doesn't make sense at all. And we start to see it when Jesus begins to explain what happens to those who pursue this kingdom life. If you love those who love you, he asks, what credit is that to you? 
If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? If you lend to those who will pay you back, what credit is that to you? Doesn't it seem a little strange that Jesus would use the economic framework of credit to describe the reward that those who pursue the reign of God receive? And just when he has us wondering what that credit, that reward will be, Jesus peels back the curtain and lets us see that the reign of God is stranger than anything we might have imagined. Your reward will be great, he says, and you will be children of the Most High, for God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. The ungrateful and the wicked? God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Do you think that's what Jesus meant to say? Don't you think he meant Jesus, don't you think Jesus meant that God is kind to the generous and the faithful? After telling us all these hard things we're supposed to do, after inviting us to, to pursue this difficult reign of God, don't you think what Jesus meant to say is that you who turn the other cheek, you who lend without expecting anything in return, you who do good to those who abuse you, who pray for your persecutors, you're the ones who receive God's kindness. Don't you think that's what he meant to say? Why would Jesus invite us to take the moral high ground if in the end all of us, high or low, find ourselves in the same boat? Why would we do that? What's the point of that? What? Because we can't be children of the Most High until we learn to love others as we have been loved. And that's the strangest truth of them all, that God doesn't love those who love God back. God doesn't love those who suffer unjustly. God doesn't love those who turn the other cheek. God doesn't love those who give up all they have to those in need. Actually, God does love them, of course, but that's not why God loves them. God loves them, and God loves everybody else, too. God loves those who care only for themselves. God loves the selfish and the retaliatory. God loves the angry and the bitter. God loves everyone just the same. That's the story Jesus is telling. It's the story God is telling the world in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus that God gives love, and even when the world rejects it, God still loves us anyway. In every generation, we reject God's love. We crucify Christ yet again, and still God pursues us and brings us into the new dawn of Easter forgiving us and redeeming us and calling us his children. It's his children that Jesus wants us to understand. He, he wants to see what it means to belong to God, to the one who loves us like that. But how can we do that? How can we know what it is that Jesus is inviting us to do? How can we get our hearts around a love that big? We can hear it with our ears. We can even grasp it with our minds, but we can't know it in our hearts and our lives until we do it, until we walk in the same love with which we are loved. Jesus wants us to know what it means to belong 
to God's family. Jesus wants God's people to know what it means to be God's children. And what does it mean to belong to God like that? It means living the divine life that God is living too. It means loving those who don't love us back and forgiving those who refuse to forgive us. It means turning the other cheek. It means giving all we have for the sake of the other. It means opening our hearts to be vulnerable even to those who will take our hearts and crush them. Because that's who God is, and that's how God loves us. Love like that doesn't make any sense. It's illogical. And the only way we get to understand it is when we practice it. What does it mean to belong to God? It means to love others the way that we are loved. It means to see a love that has no limit unfolding in our own actions, in our own lives. That shows us who we really are. And once we know who we are, God's beloved children, we are set free from that instinct to protect ourselves, to get our due, to win at the game of life. When we love others with the same reckless abandon with which God loves us, we discover a truth that the world cannot teach us, that all people belong to God, whoever they are, and whatever they've done, and whatever they believe. Not because of who we are, but because of who God is and how God loves us. And those who love others like that get to see it. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.